Maya Gilliam is a consummate entrepreneur. This introduction could possibly end right here. My first sentence more than aptly describes Maya, but she is so much more. Born in the Tar Heel State, North Carolina, Maya was surrounded by a family teeming with entrepreneurs and investors. She remembers observing family members as they tended to their separate businesses and made decisions. Her lessons in business came directly and indirectly. Maya soaked it all up. By the time Maya walked onto the infamous yard at Howard University, she was prepared for greatness. Her college years saw her becoming a photojournalist for the university's newspaper. She had the uncanny ability to slip into concerts, parties, press conferences, and other exclusive events. Maya always came home with the perfect shots from her assignments, prompting her fellow students to label her All Access. While working for the school's paper as a sophomore, Maya recognized that there was a need for a strong digital agency, especially for small businesses. Thus, Third Eye Digital was born. Third Eye Digital would go on to secure contracts from Howard University and other major businesses in the Washington, D.C. area, all before Maya even graduated. Upon graduation, Maya became a photo editor for one of the largest newspapers in the United States. With time, she decided to move on to explore other talents. She became a licensed massage therapist and in true Maya fashion, opened her own spa. A very successful spa, might I add. In 2020, when the world was turned right side up, Maya swiftly turned on a dime and reinvented herself. She closed her spa and used the opportunity to invest time and money into a new company creating products from hemp. With acres of land in her possession, she is well on her way to becoming one of the industry's rock stars. Maya is also on the verge of developing similar businesses in Rwanda and Ghana. But Maya is not done yet. This is the story, thus far, of Maya Gilliam. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Entrepreneur, farmer, and all-around empress, Maya Gilliam, welcome to Planet 30. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Now, Maya, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, more specifically Yakinville, uh, North Carolina. Yakinville. Tell me about tell me about tell me about growing up in uh, North Carolina uh, at that time. Okay. Well, um, basically, I grew up around uh, horses and cows and a couple of chickens in the country. Um, in Yakinville, you know, I rode horses, walked in nature a lot, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a country girl, I guess you could say. <laughs> nice, nice. So, so what was it, what was a childhood dream? What was my childhood dream? Yeah, when I grow up, I want to be, uh... <laughs> oh, I used to want to be a doctor. <laughs> didn't, didn't we all at one point? <laughs> yeah. 
But then it eventually shifted somehow um, just before you got to Howard University. What, what, what encouraged that shift? Well, um, I remember being in high school and I joined the yearbook and I was a photographer um, and photo editor for the yearbook. And I liked the fact that I was able to like get out of class to go take pictures. And I like that, like, exclusivity. <laughs> so that turned me to the life of a photographer. So when I got to Howard, um, I began uh, freshman year taking pictures for the campus paper. And that same year, I became the photo editor of the campus paper. So um, after that, it was just, like, um, photojournalism for me. Because <laughs> when we met, I, we, I mean, we just knew Maya as the baddest. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of <laughs> photography and graphics, that's who you went to. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys saw me that way. <laughs> <laughs> now you, they used to call me All Access. They had a nickname called All Access because I would, like, get into places like that. I should not be. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, okay. Well, what are some of the uh, what are some of the concerts, et cetera, that you got into? Oh, my goodness. Everything. Uh most Death, LL Cool J, uh, Bill Cosby. I mean, and would you uh, would you get backstage as well, or just Khan, Erica Badu? Absolutely, backstage, Pharrell, um, Magic Johnson. I mean, just everybody during that time. Kanye West, John Legend. This goes on and on. Like we used to just get backstage everywhere. The best thing about the campus paper at Howard is that. It held the same weight as the Washington Post. It sure and, did. <laughs> yeah, any other uh, publication in the city. So we had access to absolutely everything. <laughs> the hilltop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hilltop. <laughs> um, so you, you kind of started out in the entertainment world at Howard. And um, I, I, know, I know that, that you, you were a hustler from day one. Like, from the time I can remember, you were a hustler. <laughs> And what do you think encouraged that that spirit in you? Like, where did that come from? Oh, well, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Ah. Um, so my granddad was uh, the first uh, black man in America um, to own a gas station. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and my dad owns a pest control company for the past 40 years. All of my uncles own their own businesses from furniture stores to uh, liquor houses to all things of that nature. Um, so yeah, pretty much everybody in my family um, is an entrepreneur. Um, and even before that, there were farmers actually. <laughs> Interesting. So, so ergo landowners as well. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Nice. Now, going back to, to the Howard days again, you already had a company before you graduated, which, and, and this wasn't yeah. any small company. You guys at were taking on major clients. Tell tell me a little bit about uh, Third Eye Digital. Yeah, so Third Eye Digital started that uh, my sophomore year at Howard, and um, so it's kind of funny. Like we originally um, started, like I used to, my major was. Um, TV production with a minor in electronic studio. So for my classes, I used to have to um, do projects like websites. So I was super busy at the campus paper. So what I would do was talk to my classmates and be like, look, I'll pay you $200 to just do this website for this class project for me. (laughs) 
And that's how Third Eye Digital was born. And I was like, oh, wait, I can just pay people to do stuff. So why not just actually do this as a business? Um, so we started doing web design. Um, I have to thank Howard University, um, actually, because they gave us some of our first biggest projects. Um, we did the uh, campus um, yearbook DVD, uh, which was a huge contract. Um, so that was super important to us and kind of helped put us on the map. And the Hilltop helped to put us on the map as well. Um, and it just snowballed from there. We started doing uh, websites for uh, large museums like New York Public Library um, and uh, the Schomburg um, in New York. Wow. And we did some sites for them, and it just snowballed after that. And then we just kind of became like we've done at least 10 or 20 websites for um, reputable museums and organizations, mainly in New York and Harlem, actually. So we kind of stayed in that little niche. Uh, we also have done stuff for the um, Louis Armstrong House Museum. We digitized his entire house from everything to his uh, trumpets, to his eyeglasses, like literally everything in the house, we digitized it. Um, done some work for Martin Luther King Museum in Atlanta, JFK. Um, so that's like our little niche with, um, with Third Eye Digital. So most of our clients came from word of mouth, actually. And this is all happening like in your early 20s. Yeah, maybe even before 20. Let's see. Probably like 19. My goodness. <laughs> so, so obviously you're making good money. You're in the entertainment realm. But you still decided to go into USA Today as a photographer, which is a major, major thing. <laughs> Actually, photo editor. <laughs> ah. How, how, yeah, was, how was your time at USA Today? Oh, man, it was great. I mean... Uh, I literally started working there a month after graduating Howard. Um, they wanted me to start early, but I was like, can I just get a month off for life? <laughs> but yeah, I uh, started working there. It was actually the dream job, um, the best job imaginable coming out of school, um, being the assistant photo editor for the sports uh, for USA Today. Um, my original plan before I knew I was getting that position was to go ahead and be a full-time entrepreneur with Third Eye Digital. Like I had, I was head first in that and I had, you know, no plans of actually getting a corporate job. But then when I scored that interview and got that job, I had to say, hey, you know, let me go ahead and do my bid in the corporate world, you know, and learn a few things. So I did and I put two years into USA Today and then we got another big contract with Howard, and I told them that it was time for me to go. <laughs> so, okay, okay. So so then you, you continued on with Third Eye. And mm -hmm. so, which brings us to, well, let me ask you this first. What brought you into your uh, wellness journey? Um, massage school, actually. Um, I have been doing um, digital work for so many years out of uh, college and you know, I felt like I was always glued to a computer um, all the time. So I decided to um, go to massage school just to, you know, um, get another trade under my belt where I didn't have to be in front of a computer and I could kind of connect with people more. And the massage school journey, like, sent me on this whole health journey and I learned a lot of things about the human body and health. Um, and then I opened a day spa. Of course, you know, me being a serial entrepreneur, um, opened a day spa right out of massage school. Um, and that's how I got on this whole wellness journey. Because you know most people just want to go work for Massage Envy for a couple of years. But not Maya Gilliam. No, no, no. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> no. I actually worked at a 
small spa for about two months um, just to kind of see how things worked. And from that spa, I, ran, I saw how not to run a spa. <laughs> so I took that information and just uh, started my own spa right up the street from there. If Maya Gilliam approaches you to be an intern, just know that you're going to be out of business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I don't go to take him out of business. I just go to learn and, and go. <laughs> tell, tell us about your spa. All right, so the name is um, Ati Spa. Um, we are in business for nine years, then COVID-19 hit. Um, we're doing fantastic, uh, raking in about half a million dollars a year. Um, and we grew very quickly um, due to, you know, just social media, Groupon, things of that nature. Um, so we grew really fast, uh, probably too fast. <laughs> Um, and then COVID-19 hit and literally like all money stopped. And that was something very interesting for me. So I was like, wait, the bills aren't stopping. So what are we going to do here? So two weeks after the COVID-19 lockdown, we opened up Hempress Farms. I put up a banner um, over my auntie spa and we opened up Hempress Farms. Um, I, I had my license to grow actually already and my original plan was to uh, learn how to grow and create products that would be sold in the spa um, and so that was the original plan but when spas got shut down uh, I remember getting a letter from the agriculture board and it said that hemp farms and hemp dispensaries are essential so you can stay open and I was like ding 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 yeah <laughs> and and I was like wait so that's essential and I and any company that was not essential to me, it wasn't attractive to me anymore because I, I didn't like the way my company was just completely shut down. You know, I didn't like the way that felt. So I decided to go into a field that was deemed essential and that's agriculture. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And you have more than one location for Maati um, Spa, isn't it? Um, actually, not anymore. Post-COVID-19, we have completely um, repurposed that uh, company and now we have a completely different business model, a different company called Hempers Farms. You all, man, talking about turn on a dime, Maya Gilliam people. <laughs> <laughs> when most people were complaining, she was she was moving, she was moving. <laughs> yeah, um, I just kind of took advantage of the whole. You know, everybody wanted to be healthy, so we we created some hemp teas. We did curbside delivery. We did, uh, I'm sorry, curbside pickup. We did delivery. We did in-store pickup. We did shipping all across the United States. Um, publications seem to love the story of a uh, young black girl hemp farmer. <laughs> so we milked it. You know, we're an entrepreneur magazine, um, green entrepreneur, Spectrum News, like a whole lot of uh, news um, publications picked up the story. Um Spa owner repurposes spa into hemp dispensary amid COVID nineteen. That was the story. So. Wow! 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 <laughs> now, now your you, your folks own eighty six acres of property. Yes, uh, ninety eight acres. <laughs> ninety eight. Okay, my sources are wrong. <laughs> it's even more. Tell us about the, in your opinion, the importance of owning real estate, especially for people of African descent. Well, yeah, I mean, it's super important because real estate is basically money, um, you know, um, at any point in time, if you need money, you can always tap into that. Um, you can use it as collateral to uh, make power moves. 
Um, you can really like grow your wealth using real estate. So um, my family taught me that um, at an early age. I always saw my parents um, expanding, expanding, expanding. You know, everywhere, every time. You know, um, I thought you know we were where we were. They were always gonna buy a rent house or buy another property, and I just watched them do that growing up. So that that was important to me. And actually, when I um, opened the spa. It was actually a rent-to-own situation um, because that was back in 2008, 2009. Is a whole real estate market crash yeah. went on, um, and there were these nice uh, condos um, storefront here in downtown Winston-Salem, and they couldn't sell it. So I was like, "Hey, you know, let me just go ahead and rent to own this. You know, you can't sell it, so you may as well, you know, start making money off take, of take it. Take a chance on me. Own. Yeah." So they let me do that, and um, I paid an additional every month uh, towards the purchase of the building. And then a year later, um, we tried to purchase the building, and the bank said no. And I said, hmm, well, bank, what do you need to see to allow me to purchase this building? And when I found that out, I made that happen, and the next year, we were able to buy the building. So that was a huge um, accomplishment for me. Um, and um, the building also has an attached unit as well, which is a completely separate address. So um, a year after that, no, two years after that, we purchased that building as well. So now we own both buildings um, that we're in for the company. Um, Prime Real Estate right downtown, Winston-Salem, um, has appreciated by half a million dollars in the past four years. Excellent location. So, you know, um, Real estate, it's all about the, the equity and appreciation of the property and all that good stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, this is all before the age of 30. Wow, that's right, isn't it? Oh, man. This is all before the age of 30. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Mind-blowing. You know, what I tell people is um, don't always focus on getting a re tax refund back. Because if you're getting a tax refund, you know what that means? You didn't make any money. Um, so you have to sometimes show your profit so the bank knows that you're bankable and that you can get these loans. So instead of trying to hide my profit so I could get a tax refund, I was like, hey, this is how much we're making. You know, give us a loan. And they were like, okay, as long as your cash flow analysis is over 1.25% of what the loan payment would be and your credit's good, you're going to get that loan. It's all about the numbers. Mm-hmm. Studying electronic art with such a businesswoman. <laughs> <laughs> the importance. Tell us about the importance. Of, this is this is actually another amazing thing about your business model. But tell us about the importance. The importance of vertical integration, like you know, taking taking product from farm to shelf on your own. Sure. Yeah, that's critical to control your supply chain. Um, so basically how that works is you're going to increase your um, profits dramat dramatically by being vertically integrated. So what that means is going from seed to bottle. So we literally grow all of our hemp um, that creates the CBD that goes in our products. So from seed or clone, so now we have our uh, mother plants that we cut clones from so we don't necessarily have to start from seed anymore. 
Um, so from seed or clones, uh, we send them through the vegetation stage for two months. Sometimes three months if I want my plants to get super tall, like um, shoulder high, we get a larger yield. I might keep them in vegetation for three months instead of two. Um, and then they will go into flower stage for uh, another two months. And then after that, um, we'll harvest them, we'll chop them down, turn them upside down, dry them for about seven to nine days, and then we will trim them, um, and then we'll cure them. And with that hemp flower, um, okay, I'll kind of break it down for you so you see the benefits of being vertically integrated. So, for example, this harvest that we just did, um, there's 35 plants. We'll probably get about 10 pounds of hemp flower from that. Okay, so that hemp flower can sell wholesale, no problem, for probably, let's say, $900 per pound. Okay, so uh, I could make about $10,000. Um, from this crop. Wait, wait, stop, but, stop, stop. $900 a pound? Yeah, for in, premium indoor hemp flower, yes. Wow. It's going to range between 600 and 900 for hemp flower, but um, I, I charge 900 Oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> um, so, for, so let's just kind of round that off and say, hey, you can make about $10,000 off that crop. All right. Well, that sounds good in the beginning, selling your flower wholesale, but when you break it down and create products out of that flower, instead, um, you're going to make so much more. So, for example, out of that 10 pounds, you can take one ounce of flour and you can press it in a uh, processor. You need something called a nug smasher where you basically take two steel plates, heat it up at 215 degrees. And you put the flour, hemp flour, inside of there, and then you press it down, and this, this rosin oozes out. Um, this um, sometimes it's brown, sometimes it's like caramel color. Uh, rosin comes out, and that rosin is your money. So with that rosin, you can decarb it, and you can create one cup of CBD extract. And with that one cup of CBD extract, you can make 500 CBD products. Okay. So if you do the math on that and say, okay, 500 times, uh, CBD product normally ranges between 25 and $100. So let's meet in the middle and say uh, you made a CBD product that you're charging $40 for. Okay, so 500 times 40, that's $20,000. Okay, so you could have sold your hemp flower and made $10,000, or you can turn it into products and you can make double. Break it down into okay. sections. <laughs> So now when I harvest, um, I don't even worry about selling it by the pound. I've realized that it's actually better to go ahead and um, press it for the oil and create products. How many Some of our products are $75, $6,500. So you can, you know, you can make a lot more money. How many products do you have in, in your line? We have about 28 products at the moment. We started with two, now we have 28. Wow. Well, can you tell, tell us some of them? Yeah, we have um, a CBD lavender body butter. Uh, we have our signature body scrub. We have um, CBD infused white truffle oil. Um, we have our hemp oil for extreme pain. Uh, we have our lavender infused CBD honey. We have our tinctures. Uh, we have our teas, hibiscus and hibiscus and hemp tea, hibiscus and I'm sorry, uh, and also ginger and hemp tea. We have CBD dog treats. Oh man, we have, yeah, we have a lot of things. And also go to our website, hempershealer.com, and you'll see all of our products here as well. We have lemonades, which sell 
really well. Uh, we have a lavender CBD infused lemonade, and we also have a mango lemonade. Wow. And is all this stuff available online, or is it... Yeah, everything is available online. You can order it, and uh, we'll ship it right to you. And uh, it will come with the proper paperwork, so you don't have to worry about any legal repercussions. Everything we do is 100% compliant, and um, you'll be good to go. Wow. As far as getting your shipments, even if you order flour. We ship pounds of flour all the time. I want to back it up a little bit. You, you, you were doing products even before you started growing your own hemp. Yeah, that's another thing about vertical integration, and I tell people this all the time. You need to know how you're going to sell your hemp or your products before you even start growing. So uh, I noticed, um, because I studied this hemp farm thing for about a year or two before I even got into it, and I used to go to a lot of different conferences, and I would see the farmers complain about different things, and they would always say that we have all this flour and we can't get rid of it. We have all this flour and we can't sell it. And I'm just looking like, hmm. Why Why can't you sell it? Well, these farmers were focused only on growing. They didn't think about the marketing. They didn't think about anything after that. They didn't think about making products. They thought that somebody was just going to come buy all their hemp flour. Well, that wasn't the case. So I learned from their mistakes, and I said, okay, well, um, the spa was still going at this time. Of course, we always need body butters uh, for massage. We always need body scrubs for our uh, spa treatments. So I went ahead and created those products. I actually sourced the CBD extract from a local farmer, and I just bought the extract from him so that I could make my CBD products CBD-infused. Um, and I was already selling those two products before um, the, the COVID-19 lockdown ever came. So we just expanded on that. So when, when COVID came, you know, the plan was in place before, but it was just more of an, ur you know, an urgency, and you just kind of moved on it. Yeah, the plan was in place just to offer products to the spa. So we're going to just kind of keep the spa going and just have the CBD products in the spa. But then when COVID-19 hit, I just completely repurposed it because I got a little spoiled. Actually, I saw, I was like, oh, wow, uh, with the spa, it was like my income was limited. So with the spa, um, I felt like my income was limited depending on how many massage therapists I had and how many massages they could do. Right. You know, so I had 13 massage therapists and they were all packed all the time and they could only do between five and seven massages a day, you know, um, and that was my cap and we were, we had four rooms. So that was literally the cap on how much money I could make. And if one of these massage therapists decides to call me in the morning and say they're not coming to work or they're sick or whatever reason, and massage therapists tend to be, you know, a little more flighty, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and do what they want to do. So you never know when you're going to have to look seven people in the face and call them and say, hey, you're not getting your massage today. And I didn't like doing that. Um, that happened a lot. And <laughs> when I switched over to products, I was like, hmm. I can sell a million products. There's no cap on products that I can sell. Like, my income is not depending on people and services. My income depends on uh, canisters and products and plants. And these things always show up to work. And I can control these things, you know, and I can, you know, uh, create, uh, I can generate a lot more revenue uh, from these things. And I don't have to have this huge $10,000 a month payroll with these things, you know, and I got spoiled and hey, um, before, you know, everything opened back up, I just let all my massage therapists know, I was like, hey guys, you know, we're switching the business model, you should go ahead and find another job. <laughs> How did that go over? The, the spa world is dead. <laughs> oh, it was fine actually because massage therapists were actually making their money on 
um, mobile house calls. So the spa industry more to me is uh, more of a mobile situation now because people feel safer in their homes Yeah. Um, versus coming to spas. So they're calling the massage therapist to come to their home. So um, actually I helped my massage therapist as much as I could. Like I still get, we've been a spa for the past 10 years. So every single day I'm going to get at least 20 calls for massages and I just forward them over to my therapist. Okay. Okay, that so that works out for them. Actually, they um, have blossoming businesses <laughs> um, because of all the work that we've sent them. So yeah, they they haven't had a problem at all. Actually, they've actually are now their own own bosses now. Look at you! Look at you! <laughs> now, give us a science. Break it down for us because you know there's always that stigma. Oh, she's in. She's a. You know, she she grows marijuana. She grows hemp. What you know? What's the difference? Tell us. Break break down the science of that because some people still don't understand. Okay, yeah. So hemp basically is not going to get you super high. Uh, hemp is more about the medicinal qualities of the plant. Um, so um, it's about the pain relief. It's about the stress relief, the anxiety relief, um, that burnout feeling that you feel at the end of the day where you just need to relax. It's more about that, and it's mostly about pain. Um, and so the the TAC that's what's going to get you high that has the psychoactive properties in it um so even in the medical marijuana space cbd has its place always you know some people think that when tac becomes legal federally that cbd is going to fall off the map well that's not the case because cbd is so effective in pain relief that will always have its place in the market so it's the same plant just you know it's like the cousins of plants Ah, okay, okay. So it's not like you're extracting the the two substances from the same plant. It's a similar plant. Yeah, they're like the, they're like cousins. So um, THC and CBD are like cousins. Um, CBD doesn't get you high, but it does give pain relief, and THC can get you high. Understood. <laughs> understood. Because some people like um, say, for example, if they have to make a speech or something, and they're feeling kind of jittery you would want to deal with cbd at that time because during your speech you want to be 100 percent coherent and um you know not high but you still want to take the edge off and feel relaxed then you would turn to cbd yes versus thc indeed indeed and what are some of the other health benefits of cbd um cbd um helps boost the immune system um i remember i paid a consultant to make me a master grower and he taught me to throw away my hemp leaves when I trimmed them and defoliated. And, but then I was like, why? He's like, because you don't need them. But then I Googled the, the health benefits of raw hemp leaves. And I, wow, it's a blood builder. It's immune booster. It helps the skin. Uh, it's anti-aging. And it's so, so useful for the human body. So I monetize that, of course. Uh, we give uh, free uh, hemp leaf tea away to the elderly. Uh, but we also sell it as tea. Um, and we dry it, um, we use it in our tea, so we use every single part of the plant from the roots. Um, the roots you can, um, there's an, actually an ancient um, ancient um, practice for during childbirth, if the woman is hemorrhaging, you can treat that with hemp roots. It stops hemorrhaging during childbirth. Uh, hemp roots um, also help to mend bones helps boost the immune system mm-hmm. um, the stems even have their place they're excellent for the skin you can take the stems and dry them out then you can powder them um, into a fine powder and you can make a mask 
Uh, you can make the same type of uh, clay that they make that they use to create casts. Is when you like break your arm and your hand. Uh, helps to mend bones. Um, so everything, and of course, we all know the flower, the buds, um, and their benefits. Smoking them, you can um, uh, decarb them. You can create products out of them um, by pressing the oil for rosin. So every single part of the plant is important, you know, and it's really good for the body. I mean, this is just interesting stuff, to be honest. <laughs> Do you think you, you try other crops at some point? I mean, you have 98 acres. Um, well, here's the thing. So we grow indoors. Um, so our very first uh, crop was an outdoor crop. Um, I see that indoor growing is going to be more profitable for me. Um, outdoor growing, we had half, we only used half an acre. Um, that's another thing I learned from the other farmers. In the beginning, when hemp first became legal, the farmers were so excited and they were like, let's do 2,500 plants. Let's do 10 acres. Well, that's a shit ton of work, and it's a lot of payroll, yeah. and it costs a lot of money, a lot of nutrients, you know, and I mean, it's going to take a lot of money to pull that off. So what happened was they drowned and they, they spent too much money and didn't have uh, the payroll to really take care of that crop to come out with some, some really good flour that was going to sell for a good price. So they went under because of that. So what I did was, okay, we're just going to start with half an acre. And we put 300 plants out on half an acre. And we did our first crop. It was amazing. Check our Instagram. You'll see it. You uh, On our Instagram, uh, Hempers Farms with an S, you'll see our journey literally from beginning to end. So um, definitely check that out and follow us there. Um, but doing the outdoor crop, um, even though we did come out with some amazing flour, we got about 30 pounds of flour from that. And we used that flour to create products, which held our products for about a year. Um, <laughs> we had so much flour. Um, so, but I, I see that indoor is the way to go. So, uh, to answer your question, uh, we're not going to be growing for flour um, outdoor. Now, we might explore growing for fiber, um, which is uh, when you're going to be growing more for the stalk versus um, for the bud of the plant because the stalk creates this really strong, soft fiber. Um, so that's the next big thing is hemp fiber. But um, I am going to be exploring different crops in other countries like Rwanda. Um, we actually have already submitted our application to grow can medical cannabis in Rwanda, and we're waiting to hear back from that. Um, in the meantime, uh, we've started Hempers Farms Rwanda, and we're going to be creating other products from other agricultural commodities like chili and avocados um, and milk. Um, even though I'm vegan, I don't drink milk, but they drink milk, and cows are very important in Rwanda. So we're going to go there and do something bougie, like do a lavender-infused milk and just create products for local grocery stores. So the answer to your question is yes, and one day I want to get into bamboo. I want to have a bamboo farm. Okay. <laughs> now, I know Rwanda is definitely one of my, you know, I've got my eye on Rwanda. It's one of those places that is just absolutely exploding, exploding and innovating and doing everything correctly what what led you to rwanda i mean you know of all the 50 plus countries in africa why rwanda well this recent trip to rwanda is actually my first time to rwanda uh, i normally uh, frequent ghana like west africa um and you know togo and south africa so it was my first time to rwanda and um it's a lovely place it's very organized um it, they do business a lot like the U.S. Uh, when it comes to professionalism. Um, they uh, have 
zero corruption in Rwanda. It's actually against the law, and they're very strict on that. So it's easy to start a business there. Um, if you research a lot of companies who have um, African-based um, headquarters, the headquarters is in Rwanda because it's the safest place to do business. Right. And they have a lot of incentives for foreign investment to come in and uh, do business there. Um, but basically what led me there um, was one of my partners um, from Hakuna Group in the Netherlands. Um, they have an import-export company. They deal with a lot of different agricultural commodities in Ghana. And one of their partners in their company is from Rwanda. And they just had a lot of uh, connections there that were useful for us. So we maximized on the, the connections that we had in, in our circle. That, make it happen. That is excellent. That is excellent. <laughs> so Maya, tell us about the entrepreneurial part, especially as it pertains to people of African descent, because there was a time when a lot of black and brown uh, bodies were tossed into prisons because of said plant <laughs> or said plants. Right. Um, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, you know, once it got legalized, it's, you know, it's open season, but uh, we still have a lot of uh, brothers in jail <laughs> uh, serving time for, a small amounts of marijuana and the plant, if you want to call it. So, you know, t t t comment about that a little bit for me. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous um, and it's super annoying. Uh, so what I have done to combat that is I have a lot of grow classes, um, cultivation uh, training courses where I teach black people how to grow hemp. Um, and uh, I've gotten 11 people already, they're licensed to grow. Uh, hemp legally um, and I'm really um, focused on letting helping black and brown people to take over this industry kind of like the Vietnamese took over the nail industry um, because it's our industry you know and uh, we have the most blood sweat and tears from this industry we are the original <laughs> uh, sellers of this plant we sell it the best um, we grow it the best um, so um, it's super important to me to teach as many black people how to grow as possible. I have five um, interns in here right now, uh, and they're going in on um, trimming. We just had a harvest. They're trimming. They're uh, replanting. They're transplanting. They're cutting clones. Um, you know, so they're getting hands-on, um, hands-on experience with the plant. And anytime somebody spends time here as an intern, they always leave with a license to grow. Um, they always leave uh, having their own farm because. To me, it's super important to teach as many black people how to grow as possible and also to help them get their uh, license and also help to dispel the limiting belief that a lot of black people have that it's hard for us to get in this industry. Well, I tell people just cancel that, never say it again. Don't give that any energy. It's actually not hard. Guess what? If you have a felony, put that license in somebody else's name. There are loopholes to every single part of this thing. If you have a record and you still want to be in this industry, you can be. Uh, you might not be able to have your name on the license, but you can still be in this industry. So don't let these little things stop you. You know what I mean? Um, so I help people to realize that, no, it's not hard to get in this industry. Yeah, you're going to have to do some work. you have to spend some money, but you can do it. You do it on anything else. <laughs> but even, especially as a woman and, 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 and a woman of color, specifically a black woman, you, you too faced um, some difficulty when you started, didn't you? Yes, this is true. <laughs> you want to hear about that, don't you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, basically, 
actually out in Yakinville, where I'm from, uh, we're like some of, there's not a lot of black people out there. And um, there are other farmers there, and they have a little farmer club. And I went in this little farmer club of like <laughs> white guys, you know? Um, so in the beginning, um, I wanted to till up some land. So I was paying a farmer some good money, uh, you know, more than really what he deserved to prep my land um, for the hemp. And so he said he was going to come. It was like October, didn't show, canceled same day. Then I feel like he purposely, you know, kept pushing it back so that we missed the uh, getting it prepped before the first frost. Okay, so we missed that opportunity, um, and then all of a sudden he says, oh, my dad doesn't want you to use our tractor. I was like, okay, bro, we have our own tractor. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now what's your excuse? Right. You know, so excuse after excuse about why you can't do it. Okay, cool, fine. Went through about three different farmers like that. Local farmers appeared to be nice in the beginning, and then somehow they just can't do it. Or they have to do it. So the last guy, he came and half did it. Okay? And then the very last guy, he was like, okay, I have another guy who can do it. And then he sent me the guy's number. And I was like, his, his name is Bryson. I'm going to go ahead and call it out. I ain't going to say his last name. His name is Bryson. I was like, I wonder, is that the same Bryson? So I talked to him. And I was like, no, nah, bro, we're good. Um, we're going to figure out another way. Because I couldn't keep out of my mind, like, this was maybe sixth grade. And the same boy in my class punch me in the stomach and shove me up against the wall and call me a nigger. And I'm looking at him like, ain't no way in hell I'm about to let you come out here and do anything <laughs> on my property. You know what I mean? So I was like, cancel this. We're about to go. I called my consultant. I was like, we got to figure out another way. I was like, look, I'm going to get some outdoor fabric pots similar to what you use in a um, nursery. Right. And we're going to grow outdoors in pots. Because what I knew, I'd been growing indoors, and I had about two harvests at that time. So I can grow plants that are six feet tall inside in pots. So I was like, why can't I do that outdoor? I already know how to do it. I really don't know this land prep shit. Honestly, I don't know it. I'm not, I've been doing digital work for the past 10 years, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and spa work. I do not till up land. I don't know about lime and soft rock phosphate and all this stuff so I was like you know what I'm gonna do it the way I know how to do it I got some outdoor pots uh, which actually cost me an additional like three thousand dollars <laughs> but I had to do it um, ordered those from Amazon uh, which came in late because that was in the middle of COVID-19 but that's another story um, so we got that and we got a big trunk of some soil and we filled those pots up with soil and we put those plants in those pots and we still did our outdoor grow so that was one of our um, biggest hurdles right there um, as far as basically they, they sabotaged our land prep because they didn't want me growing him amazing <laughs> now I also want to throw in there there are some um, other farmers that were very instrumental and helped me a lot. So I can't say that all the farmers in Yakinville were bad because some of them were great and they helped me, you know, uh, a lot. So I can't say everybody was bad when it comes to that. Right, 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 right. You found out through DNA testing exactly what part of Africa your ancestors were from. That is amazing. Yeah. I didn't get like details details but um i do know my dad's side so we're from 
um, Ghana, Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire, Mali, um, Senegal area, West Africa, basically. So you didn't, you didn't Mali. get, you didn't know, you, so you don't know which group specifically, but at least you right, have a don't region. Know which group. Yeah, at least you have a region exactly. That's amazing. Still, to confirm, it's it's just it's it, yeah yeah it's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing, and you you know in your heart you always know you know because like most people was like this with me like I would travel a lot to West Africa mainly Ghana um, and Togo and these are all in my ancestral DNA before I even knew you know where I was from. Also, I would go to Trinidad and Tobago a lot as well. Um, and I didn't, I was, went there a couple of times before I found out my great grandfather is from Trinidad and Tobago. You know what I mean? So your heart, like, already knows, really. There you go. There you go. Tell us about your dream initiative, uh, for Ghana. Oh my goodness. We recently did a tasting in Ghana. Um, check out the IG, you'll see some video clips from it. It was absolutely amazing. In Ghana, they love luxury, you know? Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> and that's what we're all about. We're a luxury brand. So all of our containers are mostly in glass bottles, very creative, um, luxurious bottles that you can reuse when the um, product is finished. But anyway, in Ghana, we did a beautiful tasting, an amazing apartment. Uh, we actually made the news in Ghana. Uh, they loved it. Um, they're, like, begging for more products. I came down with a lot of products, and we sold all of them. Um, so it was super uh, successful. We're going to open a dispensary in Ghana very soon. And we're also working on our cultivation license there as well. That's going to be a little bit slower than Rwanda because it's a, it's a different country. Yeah. <laughs> they do things different over hey. there. It's a lot more expensive as well in Ghana. So sometimes you have to start, you have to get in where you fit in. And some of my partners, too, that I work with already have legal license grows in South Africa and Lesotho. Mm. So we're already international and um, in the Netherlands, but we won't speak on the Netherlands. Okay. <laughs> well, basically, our whole thing is like women's empowerment. So like, um, we don't keep the men out. I don't want y'all to think that we're men bashers because we need y'all. We know that. Um, but we still feel that if you teach women how to grow, they're going to teach the whole family. You know? So, um, we're all about women's empowerment. You know, it's Hempers Farms. The, all of our plants are women. We only grow female plants because <laughs> we're growing, growing for flowers. So it's this whole energy thing, divine feminine thing. Um, and everywhere we go, we're always doing women's empowerment as far as who we're going to hire. Um, in Rwanda, we've partnered with a uh, co-op with access to 500,000 women farmers who will be teaching how to grow hemp um, and cannabis eventually. Um, and so right now they're, they're dealing with rice. And rice is a lot harder um, on the body um, to grow, and it's a lot more cumbersome as a crop. So we're going to diversify their portfolio, teach them how to grow cannabis, and upgrade their um, um, income and way to grow different crops, so they can kind of they can elevate. Mm, mm, mm. Dreams, dreams, and ambitions. Uh -oh. Yeah, the goal is to have industrial parks where women can come. We will have daycare. Um, and everything, you know, campuses. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Any other businesses on the horizon, Maya? <laughs> uh, right now, we are focusing on getting Hampers Farms 
on the map internationally. Um, we're focused on um, getting our products into the EU and into Africa um, at the moment. So as soon as we get that done, then we'll we'll start with the other businesses. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. You know, at one point you were in the entertainment world. You were you were you know doing well with USA Today with the Third Eye Digital, and you were you were. We still do Third Eye Digital. Oh, <laughs> of course you do. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Third Eye is actually like one of the main um, streams of revenue when it comes to power moves. So with Third Eye Digital, it's a different type of stream of income. So it's not going to be a daily thing. It's going to be like two big websites a year, you know, like right. big checks, big chunks of checks where you can make power moves with. So that's where Third Eye comes in. Third Eye funded Maati Spa uh, with a website. <laughs> um, Third Eye funded actually all of my businesses with these large checks that come in for different projects. Right. So that's, that still goes on. Yeah. Maya, what does success look like to you? Success to me looks like... Um, being able to do whatever the hell I want to do at any point in time. <laughs> Love it. You know, um, it just needs to me to be able to travel on a dime, um, you know, uh, to be able to uh, create opportunities for other people, you know. Um, when we have interns come through here, like, if they say to me, oh, I want to be your assistant, I'm like, look, I don't, I don't, train assistants I train bosses mm. so just cancel that you know like I train bosses like we want to like elevate everybody because once you give that out to other people and you lift them up the universe only gives it back to you sevenfold so it's really like win-win situation for everybody success to me looks like um having unlimited financial resources it looks like having my own militia um it looks like um having international um, cultivation facilities and dispensaries. It looks like having international spa resorts as well, uh, real estate. Um, yeah, I'm a, all I'm, that. I'm going to pretend I just didn't hear you say militia. Yeah, I threw that in. You know, because I feel like <laughs> we need our own militia sometimes. Like, I just need, like, about 200,000 soldiers, <laughs> you know, cause, you know, to just, like, because sometimes, like, Things happen and we can't do anything. Like fucking, you know, in Nigeria, how many girls were kidnapped? Yeah, like man, hundred girls. Nah, we need a militia. We need to be like, no, we don't like that. It's not gonna go down like that. Yeah, man. You know, and just change some things on our own. Hey, 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 Maya, what's the best business advice you've ever received? Best business advice? Uh huh. Uh, it's gonna be probably from my granddad. Jim Shaw, he says, the only way it doesn't work is if you don't work. Ooh. Ooh. Jim. <laughs> so he says, that's the only way it's not going to work. So all you have to do is work. Work. <laughs> now, what's some of the best business advice you can give to an upcoming entrepreneur? Um, all right. Some advice I would give is learn how to burn the midnight oil. Because... <laughs> You don't have to work your regular job that's going to pay your bills so you can pay your bills for now. And then you're going to have to work your business at night when you're not at your job. 
you know, because technically you have a whole nother, when you get off your eight hour shift, you have a whole nother eight hours. You can either be sitting at home watching TV or you can be working on your own business. You know what I mean? So you're going to have to burn a midnight oil. You kind of stay up till one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Some nights, most nights, I'd say if you're an upcoming entrepreneur, you need to be working at least 14 hours a day, no less, you know, and rest on one day. You're going to have to get it in in the beginning. And then once you get settled, you can slow down and only work eight hours a day after that. But in the beginning, you're just going to have to go in for the kills. <laughs> wow, wow. Sound advice, sound advice. What's the, what's the next big thing for Maya Gilliam? Not necessarily the business side of it. Oh. <laughs> In terms of personal development, you know, because you're always, I know you, you're always reaching. Next big thing for me? Oh, wow. Not business or it doesn't have to be? No, either, either way. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, next big thing for me is um, going to be international cultivation facilities and dispensaries. Um, all of our dispensaries are going to be very spa-like um, and have spa services internationally. With your, um, it's gonna with be, your own products. Uh, uh -huh, with our products, of course. Uh, it's going to be family. It's going to be... Uh, um, prosperity and abundance. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Now And love. When and love, of course. Can't leave love out. <laughs> when you are hundred and five years old and you're on your rocking chair and you're overlooking whatever body of water you decide to live on, what is that thing that you'd like to say, I wanted to do that and I did that? What is your ultimate goal? Everything we just talked about. But my ultimate goal is gonna be um reaching my full divine potential yes. and become as godlike as possible in this body here that I have currently on earth. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Now, Maya, this is a segment of the interview where I uh, strap on my spacesuit and I jump off Planet 30 and I leave you on the planet alone. Say whatever it is you want to say to the audience. The floor is yours. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to say I appreciate everyone listening today. Please follow us on social media. Our Instagram is Hempless Farms with an S. Our Facebook is Hempless Farms. Twitter is also Hempless Farms. LinkedIn everywhere. Go to our website, HempressHealer.com. Um, be a part of this whole uh, grow movement. Um, definitely, if you want to learn how to grow, hit us up. You can get hands-on experience. You can also get Zoom experience have a lot of classes um, that are virtual as well. So all of our classes actually are both hands-on and virtual. Um, so yeah, um, that's it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And again, the website is Hempress... Uh, HempressHealer.com Maya Gilliam, I cannot thank you enough. It has been an honor. It's been a pleasure <laughs> catching up. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being on Planet 30. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N.
N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y, at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.